Welcome to the Imperial Healthcare Business Podcast. My name is Selvi, and I'm your host today. We have Dr. Arvind Srinivasan to share his insights on sustainable healthcare today. Dr. Arvind Srinivasan graduated in medicine and completed his residency and master's in ophthalmology from Arvind Eye Institute, India. He completed his MBA from the University of Michigan, United States. After MBA, he took over as the administrator of Arvind Eye Care System and was instrumental in bringing changes to the various facets of the organization. From 2011, he is serving the organization in the role of director projects of Arvind Eye Care System. He is the board of Global Trust that runs the Arvind High Hospitals. He is leading the Arvind High Hospital Chennai as chief medical officer since 2017. Welcome Dr. Arvind and thanks for joining us today. Thanks Dr. Arvind for joining us. Um, can you tell our audience a little bit about the history of Arvind Eye Hospital and how it differs from other institutions? Arvind Hospital was founded in the year 1976. It was founded by uh, uh, Dr. Venkataswamy, known as Dr. V, at the age of 58. He started this after he retired from uh, the government service. So he uh, want, he had a vision to eliminate needless blindness uh, within the uh, local area where he was part of. But he also had worked in the government service with uh, different players globally. So he also had a global vision uh, of the problem, the challenges. He wanted to be of a solution. And the hospital initially started in a very small way with about 11 beds. And now over 45 years, it covers a population of 100 million people and provides uh, eye care to about uh, 5 million people, outpatients uh, who come every year and about half a million uh, surgeries are performed in the organization. The model is very well known for uh, two reasons. One, about more than 50% of its patients get free or highly subsidized care. So it's a cross-subsidizing model. The paying patients cover uh, the free services for the free patient. The other reason is it's a self-sustaining model. So we rarely uh, raise funds uh, through grants or through donations uh, to be able to run the hospital. So, and, and also the scale at which it operates. It's uh, by far the largest eye care provider, single eye care provider in terms of volume. So all those uh, make Arvind uh, different from the existing uh, players in the eye care. Wow, that's amazing and a lot of information. We'll go into that um, each part a little bit uh, from now. But was he an ophthalmologist too? Yes, Dr. V was an ophthalmologist. He, uh, he wanted to be a, a gynecologist, but uh, because of his <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis, you know, he had uh, fingers which were kind of twisted because of arthritis of those days. So then he uh, became an ophthalmologist. And that's how uh, the whole journey started. It all worked out very well. <laughs> so can you share a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to join Irwin? So I'm Dr. B's nephew. You know, I, I was born and brought up in that house. So he was a bachelor. So he was staying with our family. So uh, I had the opportunity to uh, see him build this institution from uh, uh, very, uh, very early days, a uh, very young uh, time of mine. And uh, so it was kind of a dinner table conversation, constantly talking about eye care and all that. I was excited about institution building. More than eye care, I would say, uh, that aspect of me uh, inspired me a whole lot. That's what prompted me to go get an MBA subsequently after my ophthalmology. And uh, so that's uh, been my uh, interest and that continues to be my interest. So I've been part of uh, 
uh, different stages of uh, my career, I've been part of building institutions. So it looks like your childhood dream came true. Um, it, it, uh, and being part of the family, we are a large family. Uh, we are aligned. It's a not-for-profit organization because not a for-profit organization. Uh, unless you are committed, you won't be part of it. Can you tell us what a typical day at Arvind is like? Uh, a typical day starts at uh, 7.30 a.m. for us. If it's surgery, we start a little early. Uh, so we, on a given day, all Aravinda hospitals put together, we handle anywhere from 15,000 to 19,000 patients a day. And we perform about 1,500 surgeries a day. So it's a, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. Uh, starts at 7.30 and we go on till about 6 p.m. Uh, in the evening. And we have uh, three distinct cadres of people who work in the organization. One is the doctors. Uh, we account for about 10% of the uh, workforce. About 60% of the workforce is uh, by what we call as mid-level ophthalmic personnel, the young women who are the nurses, who, uh, who are really the backbone of the organization. So they are about, we are about a 6,000 employee organization. So they account for about uh, 3,500 or little more than that uh, as a pool of workers. And then the admin and support staff. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a teamwork. All of us have to work together. And in the weekends, during weekends, we have eye camps. So we go into the community and conduct eye camps and bring the patients back to the hospital and start operating. Wow, that's an amazingly large system. Uh, so there are 10 hospitals in total, right? There are 14 hospitals now. 40. Okay. Within Tamil, Nadu. Yeah, within Tamil Nadu. We have totally about all touch points. We have about 120 touch points with the patients. So we have smaller centers we call as vision centers which cater to a population of about 50 to 60,000 people. So that's how that we... Is also we with, that is also within the state of Tamil Nadu or is it outside of Tamil Nadu? Uh, Tamil Nadu, Andhra and uh, Pondicherry. So these are the three places, Southern India. So we cater to a population, as I said earlier, 100 million people. Yeah. So taking these three states into account. Um, so as you mentioned this before, like according to Gates Foundation, Arvind has performed millions of cataract surgeries and uh, that it has reduced 25% of blindness in India. That is a remarkable number. How are you able to do so many surgeries? So, so, you know, the problem in India is also huge. You know, it's a huge population, as you know, uh, 1.3 billion people. And the problem is also humongous. I think India, and, and India had leaders, you know, one of them is Dr. V, and we had other leaders who were able to uh, look beyond themselves and were able to build institutions for the community. I'm not speaking only of Arvind. There are quite a few institutions who have done extremely well. Arvind is by far the largest, but uh, quite a few people have uh, done that very well. So one, India, because of the scale, uh, one leaders at the vision, because of the scale, India was also able to develop an ecosystem that could manufacture the consumables, low-cost uh, eye care equipments. So all that uh, kind of gave the critical mass. Uh, the magic started happening maybe 30 years ago uh, when, when, when the volume, the demand and the solution met and uh, they were able to find an equilibrium. And the government also played a very significant role. Government uh, said for every surgery that the, any hospital does in the, in the below poverty line, they supported each surgery with about uh, 
close to $40 uh, per surgery. So it's all in all, it's a public-private partnership uh, in its best uh, uh, version. That's a great example of breaking the silos. That's amazing. So uh, following upon what you said, Dr. V, um, the founder, he compared uh, Irvin model to McDonald's. He said they serve the identical hamburger with the same efficiency at thousands of outlets. But unlike uh, McDonald's though, Irvin offers, like, like you said, 50%, more than 50% of cataract surgeries at free of cost. It's a financially successful model and it's very efficient and sustainable. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the financial model part of this? How do you make this work? You mentioned earlier that um, it's, uh, some patients get it for free and some, I'm sorry, I forgot the term cross. Can you help me here? Sorry? Cross-subsidizing. Cross-subsidizing, yeah. Um, how does that work? Like what percentage of the patients um, pay for the surgeries? And um, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the McDonald's model came in uh, in Dr. V's mind because Dr. V was a very interesting man, right? At one end, he was uh, uh, spiritually involved. You know, he wanted to give eyesight to others. He wanted to be of use to the community. On the other end, he was talking about McDonald's. I think uh, the brilliance was he was able to look at a solution which was not available in this realm. He was able to look at an industry which was providing. So what he looked for in McDonald's was standardization how they had standardized. Anywhere in the world you could go. Today it's different, but say 20, 30 years ago before internet, McDonald's had standardized even then. You know, the golden arches were there, the French fries, fries were there. All of them cooked the same way. The store will be the same way. The toilets would be clean. A school dropout would toss a burger. So they had, they had done a lot of homework to get it right, right. And they were able to replicate it in many places, different countries. Uh, so that, those were the principles that Dr. V was looking at uh, when he spoke about McDonald's. How do I standardize eye care? How do I replicate, uh, make it replicable so that more people will get benefited? On the, on the uh, financial model of urban, healthcare is high fixed cost. You know, 80% of our costs are fixed salary, electricity, um, consumer, whatever equipment and everything that uh, exists. Only the, the component that varies is the Consumables. So consumables are usually 20%. So 80% of your cost is fixed. So if you can increase your throughput, that's why we do eye camps. That's why we do this high, high volume because you are able to spread your fixed cost over a larger base. So that way we are able to bring down the unit cost for a patient. So that was a very significant learning. And as we get better at what we do, our scale also brings us more other benefits. We can become a better training center. We are able to negotiate better price for the supplies. So a lot of advantages starts coming in when you build scale. He seems to be truly a visionary to be thinking of all these things ahead, well ahead of the times. So Aurolab, one of Irvin's subsidiary, supplies intraocular lenses globally. Can you tell us a little bit about its success and how it helps cutting the cost of cataract surgeries that you perform? Sure. So a little bit about uh, why Aurolab came into place, right? So Aurolab came into place because uh, at one point of time, we were all of the, the world imported lenses from America. US was the only country that was making, uh, US and UK were the only, only countries that were making intraocular lens. And we were importing, we are only putting it for the paying patients, not the free patients or the subsidized patients. So Dr. V questioned that, you know, he said, is it not fair 
that the poorer people need better vision because they don't have help they need to earn for their livelihood how come we are not giving the best vision to the people who deserve it a carpenter a plumber they need better vision than somebody who can afford to, to be taken care of so that's how this journey of our lab started uh, to make intraocular lens make it affordable make it available in the developing country and uh, what it has done is uh, it has brought down prices significantly today orolab exports to about 140 countries and uh, you are able to get an intraocular lens for about less than 2 dollars uh, so it can give sight today uh, $10 cataract surgery is real it's not uh, unreal in india so it is possible and $10 Uh, today in indian terms it's just one day's wages so somebody can say i'll spend that one day wage or when we started in uh, 1990 it was used to be 10 days wages you know 50 rupees a day and 500 rupees but today people can easily earn 600 700 rupees a day so it becomes a dollar a day so that's how uh, oralab came into existence and after it tasted success and after it got accepted it ventured into other products like sutures uh, pharmaceutical products and uh, blades so that's how the whole thing uh, spread wow that's incredible uh, so do you have only one location where oralab is located or do you have more than, sorry do you have more than one location no, manufacturing is done in one location it's all small scales you know small size so it can go uh, globally like china makes all spectacle lenses all mobile phones you know you don't have to make it multiple places because it's a small unit it can be spread out uh, throughout the world so it should be easy for quality control yes yes though we may look for another manufacturing unit a little later uh, in our uh, growth strategy but as of now we are having one so do you think um one arvin model be replicated outside of tamil nadu uh, and two outside of india uh, we yeah many people have replicated arvin you know i think in a, in a smaller scale and many people have uh, uh, seen success uh, in that what we realize is uh, it is about leadership and it is about uh, the focus on purpose if somebody is able to give good stable and a committed leadership and is committed to the purpose of eliminating needless blindness they will find a way to give it you know so that's very important this uh, what we have found so there are models within uh, the country which have done extremely well and outside the country Uh, there are far and few there is one in mexico called uh, uh, you know i'm i'm blanking out on their name but uh, it's in the video uh, that you would see uh, healing the eyes of the world i can send you that video so th- that's there and also we run a hospital in abuja nigeria with a partner of uh, with the chandrai family so we are able to see success uh, when people leverage that it doesn't work half hearted that's something which we have seen you can't say you you can't put the pieces of arvin and make it work somebody at the top should be aligned to the purpose that's when it works really well that's very true yeah to believe in the cause and the vision um so can this model be extended to treat other diseases in your opinion i think it is possible it is possible where there is a high volume uh, where there is scale possible it is definitely possible people have done it in cardiac surgery people have done it in joint replacements people have done it in hernia not in india i mean canada there is a hospital called shoulders uh, hernia repair hospital you have ganga hospital in coimbatore which has done it in orthopedic and plastic i think it is all about leadership you know it's like ford found how to build a car in assembly line 
these are people who come with a vision and who are able to think the world very differently you know that's what google has done that's what facebook has done you know people have thought the world very differently and you suddenly see uh, the world has changed that's true we need more of out of the box that process like that so can you tell us about the collaborations arvin has in other countries so we have extensive collaboration with us you know we have a lot of our doctors are uh, went for training and their doctors come here uh, for training so we our close partners are uh, johns hopkins uh, wilmer eye institute university of michigan eye center moran eye center in utah uh, so quite a few uh, of those centers we have extensive collaboration so we do basic research with them we do community based research we our people go there as part of the training program their people their residents come here and we have grand rounds which are linked uh, through video conferencing so a lot of good collaborations are in place uh, uh, with the us other countries uh, far and few do you think um there is a traditional view that clinicians are not as good as business leaders what is your thoughts on that so we are not trained to be business leaders you know that is a real a reality because uh, there is so much to learn in medical school uh you have to understand the body you have to understand how it works you know pathology microbiology all the entire structure how you learn in business school the core subjects and then electives and all that so it's a five year five five and a half year journey so people uh, uh, immerse their time learning only the medical aspects so uh, so it is not you can expect them to be uh, good in uh, what they do as well as be a business leader so uh, some people are built that way you know they are dr v did not get any formal education but he was a visionary they are uh, that's why we speak about him uh, you know so much uh, so those people will happen but if you really want to build a, a good managerial uh, capability then people have to get additional uh, education people who have a interest in that not every doctor is interested in that right doctors want to be purely doctors they want to do that very well like a chef he wants to be a good chef right so Uh, but there are people who also want to run restaurants want to run multiple things same thing with doctors so but today the tools are available the programs are available when i did my mba about 22 23 years ago there hardly few people did but today things have changed that is such a so i recently read a hbr article where dr kamalini ramdas from london business school talks about how arvin's monthly teleconferences with managed team management team helps identify innovative ideas can you tell us more about this process yeah see one of the things that arvin has done extremely well i think there are these big changes that have happened oralab is one big change lions arvin institute is a consulting arm it's a big change but arvin's real success came from making those small changes every day i think we we call it as patient care improvement process so we had this monthly meeting where we discussed these small ideas constantly trying to find better ways you know people who work in the front line this we learned from toyota production system toyota used to do this all the time toyota would say oh we get we ask the people on the front line on the assembly line give us better ideas to build things make work easy more work efficient make it smarter so that's what we did we learned from them and we practiced it and we are able to get uh, ideas constantly keeps the culture of the organization alive keeps people aligned and uh, does not uh, you know it solves problems when you solve a problem you feel good about it right and people's ideas are respected nurtured and implemented 
so that that's that's what to us what arvind is is that you know constantly finding better ways to deliver it so everyone feels part of the culture and part of the company yeah so how successful is um, shared medical patients program so far and what is the feasibility of extending it to remote areas in your opinion shared medical programs we have we have tried it in a few areas like glaucoma cataract counseling it has worked it has worked well in a hospital setting but in a in a distant setting we are not sure how that would work maybe work for a chronic condition not for an acute condition like cataract surgery is an acute one time intervention chronic is glaucoma diabetic retinopathy so there there may be uh, it may work but we are still uh, uh, at to scale it and to look at uh, to gain those benefits so do you see virtual shared medical patients happening in the future for chronic diseases it may happen with covid uh, pushing us all to go digital uh, it looks like we don't have a choice uh, but there are also a lot of challenges also because you are talking about uh, what is a patient's compliance what is happening with the patient so today we are not able to judge uh, just the metrics are not there with blood sugar you are able to get the metrics but in i the measurements are important so we are still dependent on some of the equipments which are in the base hospital so those are challenges that we have can you please tell our audience what shared medical patients program is yeah so the the way we interpret shared medical program is people with the same pathology people who have the same condition so instead of them getting a, to consult a doctor or going to a counseling one person at a time they form a cohort of people say 15 or 20 and for those 15 or 20 they come at at a single time they get connected either through a, a digital connect like what we are doing in like a zoom or something or they come to the hospital at the same time as much as possible so they 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 are like a community so they support each other and we also are able to handle those if it takes for each patient 10 minutes in a medical shared it may take 3 minutes for each patient so it reduces time makes it efficient and the community supports each other to adhere to their treatment protocol so that's what we for are patients open to the idea of being part of that uh, patients are here uh, you know they are they are not averse to this because this is nothing uh, uh, which is very personal or uh, anything right so most of the patients are okay with that in our case So can you tell us a little bit about your collaboration with Google um using the machine learning to identify the lesions and hemorrhages in the eye? Yeah, so Google collaboration started about 6 uh, to 6 years ago, actually about 7 years ago. So initially it was for diabetic retinopathy to understand uh, can we pick up diabetic retinopathy earlier. Every person who has diabetes has a potential to get diabetic retinopathy. So imagine close to 10% of this world has diabetes. about 40 years so it's a significant number right you're talking about close to a billion uh, population so you don't have enough eye doctors in the world to examine every retina so it is important to take images of the retina and then analyze them and to even look at those billion images is not possible so you need to have a mechanism to screen it and uh, if it's a, if there is a uh, intelligent tool to do that so that's how google Uh, came into the picture so google was also parallelly doing it we were doing something so we came together to uh, do this project and uh, in the in this journey we also realized uh, eye shows the retina shows a lot more than just diabetic retinopathy it can show evidence of 
Alzheimer's, hypertension, renal problems. So that's that's the, the next level of learning that uh, Google and we are trying to work together uh, to see whether this can be a window for diagnosis for many other diseases. So it also, uh, it helps um, improve the... Uh... It, it helps with the uh, predict, I mean, it helps the diagnosis and also improves the accuracy of the uh, diagnosis. That's amazing. Um, it's absolutely right about predictability. You're able to pick up things much earlier. You're able to warn the person much earlier that you better be careful. This is going to, uh, this may pan out in your case. So be cautious about it. So you can be proactive about that. Still work in progress. You know, I don't want to claim that it's already in place, but uh, a lot of promises are being shown as of now. That's what I was going to ask you. So is it being implemented in any of your centers yet? It's still in a project mode. Uh, it's still confidential work. Uh, I'm not privy to a lot of what's happening. There is one Dr. Kim who is working with them very closely in our team. Uh, but what, from whatever we hear, uh, it looks very promising. But we have not uh, started using it mainstream because it's still in the development. Okay. So how has COVID impacted urban hospitals? Significantly. You know, in the last, uh, uh, now the second wave in India. You know, in the first wave, we, we had to close our hospital for about three months. Uh, one, protect our staff. You know, we are 6,000 people. Uh, pay for their, uh, pay their salaries. They have to run their family. So it was a challenging time for us. But I think we stayed uh, true to our values. We took care of our employees. We took care of our teams. And uh, when, it, when we opened, we had another challenge. This huge post-COVID rush. All our hospitals saw a 50% increase in surgery and volume. So the team stretched. Team was able to handle it. So uh, it was a challenge. It's still a challenge in the second wave. Not sure. Uh, we've got all our staff vaccinated. Uh, but we are yet to see uh, how things are going to pan out. Can you share some of Arvind's future goals? So Arvind, the future goals, we, we want to uh, get a little more deeper into this 100 million population. So we are putting uh, uh, three more hospitals. Two of them are large expansions and one newer hospital. We are also trying to work in North India with a hospital in uh, Uttar Pradesh, uh, trying to build capacity so that they can really scale up their work. And uh, maybe in Abuja, we will expand our facility because we're seeing a lot of uh, positive uh, uh, response from the community. So to be able to add more services and make it a much larger organization. Uh, we are doing about half a million surgeries, maybe slowly inch up to a million surgeries over the next five to seven years. Wow. Uh, so do you have, you mentioned um, Nigeria, do you have uh, any plans to uh, implement this in other countries? Not as of now, not as of now. We are, uh, Nigeria uh, has been close to us because we've all spent a lot of time there. Um, but uh, we will have to wait and watch uh, what opportunities are available and then act upon. So much to do in India. You know, India is like, uh, still we have a lot of work to do here. So, and we are also a very conservative organization. We don't borrow, we don't get uh, grants. So, We'll have to grow within our own means. So what we uh, earn is what we can spend. So uh, all of that uh, puts uh, puts a lid on what we can do. And also we need leadership bandwidth. You know that's very important, right? It's not about 
starting a hospital it's running it well so we we focus a lot on values and culture so that takes time to uh, inculcate and nurture so we love always have a slow growth uh it is pretty fast in my opinion <laughs> um do you have any uh, advice for business school students who is trying to venture into a sustainable business model oh yes i think it's it's a journey uh, don't don't uh, run it like a 100 meter dash it's a marathon so pace yourself well uh, go for your goal uh, you can't achieve it overnight uh, it's it's like climbing mount everest you need to train for a couple of years uh, before you get fit to do that same thing with the, you know you're trying to change something right that's that's the deeper instinct uh, if you want to do something uh, good for the society uh, so be at it there are quite a few problems that uh, needs smart young people to commit and run long term and uh, so that 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 will be my uh, input to them if you work long term if you sustain your energy build endurance uh fall down but still get up and keep uh, moving ahead even one step ahead every day even you don't turn back and look at it after about a decade or two you would have done significant change uh, in the society that's a very valuable insight thank you uh that wraps it up for today dr arvin thanks again for joining us it had a great time sharing with you thank you thank you selvi thank you ivy 